Hello and welcome to KeeperCast. I'm Sammy. I'm Ben. And I'm Ivy. And this is episode one, brought to you by Garwin Chang's Yale Rejection Letter. Oh, right. I just have a list of things that I want to, that I have uh, from the first book. First off, we have a couple of new people on today since Sam couldn't be here. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves quickly? Uh, sure, Ivy. Do you want to go first? Okay, cool. Hi, I'm Ivy. I am Sammy's sibling, and I'm, I don't, there's nothing interesting about me. Goodbye. I mean, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I, the thing I put in my bio was that I dressed up as a fork for the nightfall launch party, and that was my magnum opus. You did. It was iconic. Yes. It was really iconic. Yay. Nice. Um, I'm Ben. I also don't really know what to say. I'll probably be showing up every once in a while. Um, I, 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 I first found out about Keeper of the Lost Cities in the back of another book, and I saw it there, and that's how I was introduced to the series, and that'll be my fun introduction fact. So, let's start talking about this book. So, we started with chapters 1 through 14 of Keeper of the Lost Cities, book 1. Um, let's just start from the very beginning. Does anyone have any thoughts about the preface? I know it's like 20 words, but does anyone have any thoughts on it? Well, I wrote something down, which was, um, this isn't like plot related, but on page two, she says, maybe if she hadn't noticed him that day in the museum, none of this would have happened. And I just thought that was like a really good setup device, which was, um, I don't know. That was fun because it was very oh, yeah. subtle. Okay. You'll be our... <laughs> You'll be our plot devices expert. Wow, great. Since you've watched all of Brandon Sanderson's videos. I have, yes. You know, this is the first time I've reread... This is the first time I'm going to try to reread Keeper 1 in its entirety, I think. Like, I don't think I've ever done it before. I've reread bits and pieces, mostly for, like, references for fanfics, but I've never gone chronologically through the whole thing. This is the first time I think I'll be putting, like, active thought into a reread versus just, like, skimming through it. Like, actually taking time to read through, like, all the chapters and then, like, putting notes aside and thinking about different things that I'd like to bring up. So, to begin, this this entire series, the first book of all, what are we at now, eight plus books of Coddle, Starts with Mr. Sweeney's nasal voice. Mr. Sweeney's nasal voice. <laughs> Gotta love voice. Mr. Sweeney. An icon. An icon named Sweeney of all things. Such an icon. No, honestly, though, it it made me remember, um, Shannon has said before that she was originally going to name Sophie Agnes McQueenie. Yes, And it Agnes made me McQueenie. wonder, like, if Mr. Sweeney's name <gasps> is any way based on that. That's really smart. Agnes McQueenie had a nasal voice oh, God. <laughs> draft one sophie yeah <laughs> but like i wonder what miss i mean looking forward a bit i wonder what mr sweeney and like all of sophie's classmates were feeling about everything relating to sophie be- for like the one day that passed before their memories were wiped because there's this like 12 year old in their class that just suddenly disappears with the stranger and doesn't come back like ever Wait, that's true. I mean, the question is, like, 
we know that the washers went to Sophie's family, but like, did they wipe every single person's mind who Sophie has ever interacted with? Is that even something they could do? So did Sophie and I don't know, it would just be really funny if they didn't, and then Sophie and her family just straight up vanished and became a local conspiracy theory. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sophie, San Diego cryptid. They, pro- they probably just, like, like made up a story about how they, like, left for some reason or another, because I feel like they can do that, and they're elves, so they're OP, and, like, people would believe them. Probably. Yeah, I feel like I always assumed that they wiped the memories of everyone who had ever, like, met sophie somehow but thinking about that now it seems like oh how would they realistically do that actually yeah who knows and i mean i'm gonna be real like that one girl who sophie's mom tried to force her to be friends with and like i don't remember when it's brought up but later on in the book the that she was called lame by for knowing too much about spelling like is that really going to be a major point in her memory that this girl suddenly disappeared? Right, exactly. Like, That's true. How much is worth it in terms of washing? Because it seems like, this is mean, but like, it seems like not a lot of people really cared a lot about Sophie in her community. So like, probably they would, they would be okay. <laughs> they would be okay with like her disappearing, which is really sad to think about. This leads me into my next topic, which is one person who we did see talking to her, who was named Gavin Chang, and was a 12th grader, probably 18, wearing a shirt that says, <laughs> watch out, I fart, or something says, similar. Back off, I'm gonna fart, like, I think. Yeah, back off, I'm gonna fart, in grade 12. <laughs> you know, Shannon, Shannon isn't allowed to use actual 12th grade humor in her middle grade series. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, but just imagine that image <laughs> of, like, a 17 or 18-year-old wearing a back-off fart shirt and just, like, gently bullying a 12-year-old. But, yeah, so speaking of the 12-year-old thing, though, a question I've always kind of had, in, or a thought that I've always had is, like, putting a 12-year-old in... Tw- 12th grade I can't really imagine any any school district realistically doing that like I don't know Ivy I feel like you're more qualified than me to talk about this do you want to talk about it um okay so yeah it's not good (laughs) because especially since like she lives in San Francisco and no it's it's San Diego actually is a pretty is it oh well okay I was wrong yeah you're right it's San Diego okay whatever it's, like, in the urban California area, and it's near to a lot of opportunities for, like, like early college sort of things with other kids her age, accelerated courses, stuff like that. And her parents, I mean, they live in a two-door mansion, right? Like, like they're clearly not- I think that's not- actually the house that the elves gave them afterwards. I, th- I don't know what kind of house they okay, lived in before. whatever. They're, like- I assume they have some sort of means. I thought they, I don't know. I thought they lived in like a, yeah, I don't know. I always assumed that her family was in like a smaller house. I didn't think that they had like such a grand estate. Yeah, I think they were like a pretty normal human family. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, my point is that, sorry, sorry. Uh, My point is that like, it was, I get that she's smart, but yes, it was very unnecessary 
for her to skip grades because, yeah, one, that's unconventional and bad for her social life, and two, they live in a place in a time where there are a lot of, like, programs set up, like, don't have her skip five grades, just, like, make her a CTY kid, and then they would be good. Like, mm. Although, like, even if Sophie was... That's my rant. <laughs> ...in seventh grade or in the same grade as the rest of her classmates, I mean, would she have been better socially, do you think? Like, just because she's so much... She's so different from everyone else, would it have made a difference? I think she probably would have found, like, probably at least one person at some point... Especially considering that when she came to the Lost Cities, she was able to make friends. So, like, I think that if she was put in an environment with people who were more similar to her, like, it would be better. I guess we should do some plot summary, actually, because I just I just realized that. Because, like, most people, I'm guessing, listening to this... Have not reread 1 through 14 with a very specific eye for detail. <laughs> right, and, like... I mean, for me, I don't I don't remember anything from this series. So, um, yeah, so what we're talking about right now is the first scene is at the Natural History Museum in San Diego, um, right? And right during the scene is when Fitz shows up for the first time. Should we talk about Fitz? <laughs> um, do we want to get through the summary and then discuss him? Um... I was thinking we could, like, sort of summarize as we go along chronologically. We can go on a little further, though. So right after that is when, um, so Fitz, you know, sees, shows the newspaper, says she's an elf, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then she runs away from him, which, by the way, I did make a note of in my book because that was a very relatable, realistic reaction. If someone came up to me and told me I was an elf, I would definitely have run away. Um, and then she levitates a lamppost, which... Oh! Okay. <laughs> which made me want... Yes. This led me to a second question I had, is that the guy... The reason that she was holding up the lamppost was because she was almost hit by a car running into the street. The car swerved, hit the lamppost, which then started to fall on her. So what happened to the guy driving the car? Did he get his mind erased? How did they find him? That's so funny because I had this I had that exact same question. Like yeah. Like what happened to the driver? Like is is his car okay? Is he okay? <laughs> like did the elves repair it? <laughs> I think like this is one of the things that's like an established part of this world where the elves can basically just do anything to humans and we're fine with it. Like, if something happens in the human world, the elves can fix it because that's just how the world works. So, like, there's no real good reason, but we just assume it's fine. Something I noticed in this section with the lamppost and, like, they ended up running to the zoo, I think, and that's when they had the big when Sophie and Fitz really had their first real conversation. And something I noticed about this section is that um, Fitz sounds really young, especially compared to, like, how he's been in Flashback and Legacy, more of, like, a Slytherin-type kind of character, for lack of a better word. Because um, I made a note where 
he said like he said to Sophie I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell you when Sophie asks why Fitz has been looking for her and that felt like a very like 14 year old kid thing to say especially considering that like with with Alden Fitz and Alden aren't really collaborating at this point and Alden's been very much like making all the decisions I think and um Fitz is kind of just doing what he's told so I found that interesting I don't know <laughs> so then next they light leap they end up light leaping to two cities um Eternalia and Luminaria am I is that how we're pronouncing that these I don't it is how we are pronouncing it okay <laughs> I I assume so how how else would you pronounce it like Eternalia and Luminaria. Oh my or... god, no! I always said it like. <laughs> well, That's I don't know. Cursed. I mean, I always said it like Eternalia, like the name Dahlia. I have no clue. Yeah, I always thought it was like a long "aw" sound, but I mean, there are people who pronounce "keef keefy." Okay, so, but they're just you know. invalid. It's not correct. <laughs> yeah, so they they go to Eternalia, and something I thought of while reading this, um, and I think people have said this before, but there was a like people have theorized about this before but there was um a tribunal that was going on and whose tribunal was that Lynn's tribunal that's that's what my mind instantly went to i see i have no clue if gethin actually has been condemned by elven society but that's just i had that in brackets next to whose tribunal so i actually had no idea i again had the same question but Lynn's could be a really cool answer to that yeah, I didn't think of Gethin before, but... I mean, when when was Linz, right? I'm not sure what the exact timeline was it, is. It was like, they were there for two years, right? And then it was about If it's about two, two years, years, then that would be the right time. So, I guess that's a that's a theory that we can, we can look at more when we get to Neverseen, because I don't actually remember how long they were, they were at Exilium for. Oh, and then Fitz says the iconic line, Einstein was wrong. Oh, God. About light leaping. <laughs> oh, oh, God. And, no, what I love so much about this line is that he just says Einstein was wrong and he offers no further explanation. And, like, if you're going to say that <laughs> as, like, part of your world building, I feel like you need Imagine to explain Einstein it a little more than, oh, yeah, that's wrong. You have to say what's right about it. Because I feel, because, because light leaping, I don't know, I don't, I don't get light leaping. I don't understand most of Elven physics. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think Shannon really does either, but uh, I think, I think it is something that a 14 year old boy would do to just straight up say, oh, this person's wrong and then just give no explanation. Yeah, that's very right. <laughs> it's a very teenage boy thing to do that's true that's true i go to school with 14 year old boys and it it's very characteristic teenage boy i mean after that like immediately after that it says what she says it says she wasn't sure how to argue he seems so ridiculously confident so i also feel like she's probably just intimidated at this point by everything that's going on and yes also like her heart is fluttering like constantly oh, at this point. so i feel like <laughs> i feel like she probably just doesn't want to argue with him because he seems to be the authority figure here. By the way, just wondering, where do we stand on ships? Like, personally. Personally, I'm on... I just I just don't want the ship wars to be a thing anymore. Like, I am... Like, 
like I'm almost on single Sophie's side at this point just for the fact that like I'm so tired of everything else yeah I feel the same way I used to be I used to be pretty hardcore Sophits but now I'm kind I'm just tired I'm tired of all the ship wars and like Mm -hmm. I don't really care at this point who Sophie ends up with I feel like that's not the important part of the series yeah and I feel like too much of the focus has been shifted to that and it needs to kind of be brought back Mm-hmm. Like, there's a plot going on, guys. The Never Seen, they're there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like... Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, honestly, I don't care who Sophie ends up with, but I would like there to be, like, a satisfying minor character ship, just, you know, for, for fun and feels, and I would like it to be Linella. But also it could be something Linella. else. Linella. Very good Linella would be excellent. However, I don't, like, I think that we'll kind of get that kind of less obvious canon confirmation for that if it'll come. Like, it'll kind of just be like, and well, the final pairing, kisses, you see, Lynn and Morella hugging in the background. And that'll be the it's confirmation. Like the scene at the end of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. And then post, we get a Lynn Morella short story, and it's just both of them talking about how much they've been crushing on each other for, like, the past month. Anyway, I guess back to, we're in Luminaria now, right? So back to, back to in Luminaria. Um, honestly, maybe this is an unpopular opinion, I don't know, but honestly, I feel like Fitz was being a bit manipulative in the scene. I was seeing some red flags that, like, I hadn't seen before when I was 13 and, like, reading this for the first time, but there's, like, a place where he says, this is the truth, Sophie, this is who you are, this is where you belong. Like, I understand how hearing that could be, like, really comforting to Sophie since she's never belonged anywhere, as we kind of talked about before, but, like, and I also don't know how much of this Fitz actually believes, but I don't know, it felt... A little bit manipulative to me it felt kind of like he was saying like oh the people you know they don't want you we're the only people who want you and you're supposed to be with us I don't know and I mean I think in a way I don't know if he was extremely conscious of it but I think just from this child standpoint of wanting to impress your father who's been setting this task for you and finally having found what you're looking for after so long like there's no way that he would not be pressuring her into staying with the elves. Like, this is far too important, and he has far too good of a chance to impress his dad to be like, oh, yeah, do you want to just go home and forget it? Right, exactly. And I think we, especially in the earlier books, we do have to take into account that, like, these are kids. And, you know, a lot of the time, they're not the ones making the decisions. They're the ones who know everything. Um, And Fitz definitely is, at this point, kind of just going along with what Alden is, is telling him to do absolutely yeah exactly and also like um going along with that probably i mean i was thinking those words might even be exact words that alden has told him or um potentially alvar because like we know that alvar has been spending a lot of time in the lost cities and i was thinking i mean this probably this might not have been the attention but it could be alluding to sort of a theme in the Vacker family of Alden trying to keep his children in the lost cities and keep them together. Yeah, the Vacker legacy. Wait, 
sorry, I'm a little bit confused. What do you mean exactly by, like, keeping them together? Oh, like, okay, so I'm not 100% on what was happening at the time, but I'm pretty sure that at this point, Alvar was, like, going off and doing a bunch of stuff in the Lost Cities, right? Not the Lost Cities. The Forbidden Cities. Yeah, the Ogre Cities. He was in the... He was in Ravagog. Okay, whatever. Not in the Lost Cities. And then... Yeah, in in the other other places. places. (laughs) And then I was thinking maybe... I mean, Fitz seems to be almost reciting something that he's been taught or that he's internalized. And it might be a reflection of, like, just Alden feeling like his family is, like, moving away from him. And he wants to keep them together. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's possible. I hadn't really thought of that before. I think that there's a lot of interesting... Well, there's a lot of potentially not conscious layers to Alan's character, but there is certainly a lot of motive there that is interesting to look at and try to unwrap. So then after Luminaria, Sophie goes home. And this is the first time we see... We get a glimpse at her human family. And I was wondering what you guys think of Sophie's human parents. I have, well, not necessarily her parents, but I have written here is, Amy is nine, question mark. And then I followed that by, also, who cares a lot about having not great grades in grade four? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is very true. Amy, Amy was nine at this point, right? Like, she was, that's really young. Oh, I actually, I actually wrote a note about this. I wrote a note about this. Uh, sorry. Um. I said that, so yeah, Amy is getting bad grades, and it seems that, I mean, this also probably is because she's getting older, but once Sophie leaves, her grades seem to improve, like, quite a bit, and she actually seems to be quite smart when we meet her later, so I was thinking maybe something- Getting bad grades doesn't mean you're not smart. That's true, that's true, I'm sorry. Um, but, well, she just seems to be, like, like, performing better, and, like, more- um, yeah, yeah, and, like, um, I was thinking maybe Sophie being there was actually, like, uh, bad for her because she was this, like, competition and this, like, superior, in quotes, force to her, and maybe once Sophie was removed, like, Amy was able to fully grow. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's, it is interesting to look at just because you do see that some, like, often with younger siblings where they just feel like they can't compare to their older sibling, especially if their older sibling has been, like, getting good grades or specifically smart. So it is, it is interesting to look at that way. Yeah, sorry, Ivy. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't think that's, uh... (laughs) Now, Sophie's, Sophie's parents or Sophie's human parents, I guess, it, it's always kind of nice. I remember reading, um, reading Kodok 1 for the first time, and I was like, oh, it's really nice that she has parents who love her. <laughs> like, so much of the time, like, in these kinds of middle grade fantasy books, like Harry Potter and stuff, <clears throat> it's like, everything about the human world or their old life is terrible, including their family. Um, so it was nice to have, to see it be more balanced out in in Kodok and to have Sophie Sophie's human parents actually like 
to make it actually hard for Sophie to leave them and incorporate that into into the story. Yeah, there was just a couple more things from this section that I wrote down that I will bring up, which is the E.L. Fudge's origins. The E.L. Fudge's! I love how... No, I love how Shannon has kept that going throughout the series. She keeps bringing them up. Yeah, and I just have something that I wanted to bring up from a previous chapter, which is... Okay, so this is a lot of weird calculations, but according to some Yale website I found, they usually release whether or not they're accepting you into the school in um, February or early March. So that means that the time frame of this is like probably because they said that they got their rejections like three weeks ago ish. So that means that this probably puts it like late March to early April, which actually puts a general estimate of when Sophie's birthday would be in June to August. Oh, right. Because because she said she'd be 13. Yeah. So that puts Sophie's birthday in around June to August. Which, I don't know, I just felt interesting because I always thought that Sophie had a very specific September or November birthday vibe. Hmm. Would that be like a... What would what would the star sign of that be? Is that a Scorpio? Uh, it can be anywhere between a Cancer and a Libra. I don't know anything about the Zodiac, to be honest, but... <laughs> well, it just depends. June is... June can be Gemini. August... Yeah, August, I think, ends with Virgo, actually. So it's Gemini to Virgo. And then... Yeah, so Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, I think. Wait, which, like, like November or, like, June to Oh, Sophie August. definitely gives off Leo vibes. Again, I don't really know anything about the Zodiac other than, like, those posts on Tumblr that'll be, like, the signs as so-and-so. But she gives off Leo energy to me. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I have never really thought about, like, her birthday from a Zodiac perspective super. But when I just think about her character, she just seems like someone who was born in September or November to me. And I just got so stuck in that one. And I went, that when I saw that she was born, like, she was a summer baby, I was like, wow, that's Well, I feel like beginning Sophie gives off Leo energy. And then she's, like, less of a tryhard later. Ooh, the next chapter starts with the Keebler Elves dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was fun. So... That was when, what, she dreamed the Keebler elves were, like, keeping her hostage. Oh. Right. Yeah. That was great. Um, And then, oh, and then this is the first time we see Mr. Forkel. And it is very weird, I have to say, to see Mr. Forkel, like, outside of a black swan context. I think also, like, something that we forget a lot of the time, because because there have been so many books is that like the black swan really wasn't a big part of book one and it was like this whole reveal at the end that like oh there's this secret organization that created you in the rest of the books the black swan is kind of is always there as a presence and there isn't as much secrecy around it anymore yeah and just kind of adding on to that what i found very interesting too is that like not only in this book are we really introduced to, like, the Black Swan in such a minor degree, but we are also, for the most of the book, left believing that there's just one secret organization. And one of the big reveals for me at the end of this book is, of course, that there is not one secret organization, but there's actually two in play. Which you don't really know till like, the last few chapters. Right, yeah. Did, did they even... 
Were they even called the Never Seen in book one? No. They were just like the evil ones. Those those guys over there. Yeah. So that's so that's really interesting, especially since like there's a whole book named after them later, and yet at this point we don't even know what they're called. That's true. Huh. Oh, I have so many fun things to say about the next chapter, but I'll wait. I didn't have much down for this chapter. So something I was going to bring up in this chapter, sorry, it's just at the beginning. Um, This is when she wears the Charlie Brown shirt. So at the beginning, it says she... Wait, what What Charlie Brown shirt? It says, no, it says she threw on her best jeans and a shirt she'd never worn, buttery yellow with brown stripes. And I just thought that was funny because it's the Charlie Brown shirt. That is a Charlie Brown shirt, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> canonically, she met the the council in a Charlie Brown shirt. <laughs> so, um, after this, this is when um, Mr. Forkle and Gethin have their showdown, and Gethin tries to grab Sophie and fails miserably at it. Um, next chapter, they... We end up at Everglen for the first time. Okay, so I just had something that I wanted to bring up from this chapter, which is when we meet the council, and when all elves, including, and specifically mentioning, Counselor, okay, I always say this wrong, but Counselor Bront is described as looking young ah, and vibrant. What? I mean, technically it's canon that the elves never age past like 30 but but it really makes you think that counselor bront is being described as someone young <laughs> and vibrant yeah definitely the most vibrant of it's just bringing with life yeah so that that scene the that scene we're talking about is the is the test in front of three counselors that determines whether sophie gets into foxfire um and those other two counselors are Kenrick and Orly. Should we talk about Kenrick and Orly? Kenrick and Orly are God. God. Okay. There's just, there's so much to unpack with them. So, I mean, I, spoiler, I guess, this is, this podcast is gonna have spoilers. I mean, we've already given some pretty decent spoilers, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, especially considering now that we know that Orly is Sophie's biological mom, that scene reads very differently now. No, and it's just, it's so interesting, too, just because when you think about it, I think, I can't remember if she meets Della beforehand, but if she doesn't, then Orly is actually the first female elf that she meets. Or, like, the first elf outside of the Vacker family. I can't remember the order of the events, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so then... Yeah, she meets. Yeah, so then Orly is actually the first female elf that Sophie meets. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, Orly, I'm looking at Orly, doesn't actually say anything. Like, at all. I think she has like a couple lines near the end where she holds Sophie's hand and just says, oh. At the end, she feels her emotions. Yeah, but other than that, she is pretty quiet. Oh, Kenrick was a redhead. Kenrick. Poor Kenrick. Aww. Rip. I mean, it makes sense that he was a redhead. It was <laughs> oh, God. No! 
Oh, oh that's painful. Um, yeah, so, so after the Foxfire test, or do we have more that we want to say about it? I have just one more thing, but you can move on to the Foxfire test right after this, because it's just, it's bringing up old content, but on top of saying young and vibrant, Sophie also said that Bront wasn't bad looking. I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, again, this is a thing where it's like, yeah, I guess it's technically canon that, like, all elves are good looking, so I guess Bront or Bronte or however you pronounce it, is part of that group. But it is it is just very weird to think about, given that he is thousands of years old and not a very nice person to hang out with. Yeah. I also just had one more thing from the, this chapter before we moved on. It's just that, like, because part of this series um, is kind of about unraveling how Sophie was introduced to this society as perfect, but then slowly discovering that there are flaws in it, I just found it, like, when I read the words the enlightened language as the language that the elves speak, like, I just felt so angry because, of course, the elves think that they're so much better that they name their own language the enlightened language, the language for the smart people. Yeah, so much of the elven world, it's like, there's not just superiority, there's, like, this weird awareness of their superiority. I mean, I think the main reason for the Enlightened was because it's a pun, but yes, I I do think that that's very interesting. It, it is a pun. It's also symbolism. I didn't even see the pun at first, but now that you've... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just read it and it was like, oh, of course you guys named your language the Enlightened language. Of course. There wasn't another name like Cool Elvish. <laughs> All right, so in the next chapter, the next section, they um they go for the probe, which is such an ominous name, but they go to Atlantis to have Quinlan probe Sophie's mind. Oh, to see Quinlan's receptionist. Okay, that's re- that's great. I yeah, I made a note about Quinlan's receptionist too because that's a plot line that was kind of left hanging. I feel like we're like oh, Quinlan's receptionist was hired by the council, they're kind of suspicious, and then that just never goes anywhere. I think for a while, I think I had a theory that um, that Physic was Quinlan's receptionist, which actually ended up not being too far away. Yeah, from <laughs> the truth, reality. No, that's interesting. I think, I think I don't know if that was less a plot thread that was dropped in, more of just something to set the scene, more pitting like Sophie against the council and against Bront specifically. So, I don't know. There was also just, on on the heels of my enlightened language uh, little rant there, I bring you the second thing I found annoying, is that there's a line where it says, and I quote, uh, one second, just let me try and find it. She'd begged to wear pants, but apparently it was a sign of status for a girl to wear a gown. Which just irritated me. Especially, like, later on when Della goes on her role, like, like, if you want to wear dresses as a girl, like, that's fine. Dresses are awesome. Like, I love dresses, but it's just, it's so annoying to see it here as she'd beg to wear pants, but they wouldn't let her because she had to be all showy and pretty. Uh, and it was just, oh, that was just annoying to read. Yeah, that's definitely a part of Velocities that has 
continuously bothered me throughout the books. The fact that, like, well, the fact that, one, girls are supposedly allowed to, allowed to wear pants, but we never see anyone in a suit or something similar. And second, the fact that, like, that, I don't know, that dresses are seen as more formal or more high class. Yeah. Or even here, just that the implication where, like, later on in the series, we see that Della says that, oh, yeah, it's completely fine for people to wear pants. But back here in this first book, like, it said Sophie asked to wear pants, like, she really wanted to wear pants. And, like, this dress put her in an uncomfortable position where she was tripping and being all clumsy, but she still had to wear it. Where it's just kind of like, come on, guys. And also the fact that, like, we never see any of the male elves in a dress. I want to see, like... That's true. Like, I think it would be fun if dresses just in general were a sign of status and then everyone wears a dress when you're fancy and then you do Like, that would be okay. I mean, I think, like... I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of layers to it, but inherently right now where it stands, where ladies just, well, in some cases they have to wear dresses, and in some cases, like, it's an option, that's not great, whereas guys are kind of, there's probably that same kind of societal expectation turned forced to wear suits and fancy pants. Yeah, um, sort of similarly to that during the atlanta scene um there was a line that stuck out to me after sophie like jumps back from the scorpion thing <laughs> um yeah fitz fitz is like oh what is it with girls and i mean and that line kind of stuck out to me because like well like if we're taking fitz's word for it there's not really supposed to be any sexism or those sort of gender roles in the lost cities but we still see a lot of this like kind of language especially later on when they do end up going to Foxfire. Um, although it is less so in the later books, though, so I'm hoping it's something, like, Shannon sort of caught on early and ended up phasing out, but, yeah. Yeah. And there was, I, like, it's kind of in the similar vein of comments, just with, like, I mean, it's less, it's not that same kind of comment, but just, like, so, like, Sophie tripping and stumbling and then Fitz immediately comparing her to Bianna, or Bianna. But Nana? Wait, remind me again, the probe was the probe was when they determined they couldn't break into her mind, right? Yeah, and then they were like, she's, she'll be a keeper. If she isn't well, already, right. And then yes. they go back to Everglen to then, meet Tyrgen. Yeah. Is that how we're pronouncing it? There are so many of these elven names that, like, I feel like, I feel like there is a right way to pronounce it, but I'm not completely sure if what I have is the right one. I've been pronouncing it like Tirjin. Tirjin. I've been pronouncing it But Tyrgen. I once again I say just go for whatever feels right. Something you know, I really I really like Tirgen's Tirgen. Tirgen. I really like his character. I think I think he's like he seems like a really genuinely good person. Like there's this point where he says kind of pointedly, um, to Alden, quote, there should always be a choice. And I really like that line. I think um because it says it says something about Tyrion. It also says something about Alden as well. Um, I remember, like even when I was reading book one for the first time, even back then I was thinking like, oh, Alden's not a hundred percent good. He's kind of morally gray, and I really liked that that moral grayness was 
in was implemented in there all the way since book one. What I also really loved about like Tirjin's introduction as a character is that it makes me wonder just because of the way we saw him react to learning about Sophie's telepathy skills. Like he was working with the Black Swan, but it does not look like he had very much control or knowledge about what was happening. I guess this was something that Mr. Forkel really did treat like a personal project for a long time. So he was the filter of information. Right, yeah, because he was was on the collective at that time. So it's interesting to think about like, oh, how much... How much did he know about Sophie who was hiding from her at the time, and how much did he actually not know, and how what information was kept from him? Yeah, so it was just I found it very interesting when we were introduced to Tierjin, and he was so he seemed disappointed, but not in Sophie at all, more in himself for not knowing, and in Mister Forkel for not teaching her. And then, so after Tierjin leaves, is when. Alden, I think it's Alden, says, he tells Sophie that she has to fake her death. And then they, um, but then they eventually decide not to do that and then to just wipe her parents' memory, which reminded me of, um, of in Harry Potter when Hermione, like, obliviates her parents in the seventh book and we see her disappear from all the family photos. That's what, wait, it was what? Best song in the score. (laughs) It was the best song in the score? It was the best song in the score. I don't know. I haven't listened to the score by itself, actually. Oh my god. Deathly Hallows Part 1 is, like, my second favorite movie score of all time. Really? I did not know anyway, that. Anyway, that was a tangent. I'm sorry. No, it's really, it was, like, a five-second tangent. You're good. It's very good. <laughs> but, um... But, yeah, I think that was, like... That was a really genuinely, like, emotional moment in in the book i guess oh going back to uh there was this part in atlantis when sophie was like having some internal monologue and thinking about how like oh how am i gonna go back to my parents every night and like what will i tell them and i was just thinking like oh sophie no you don't know yeah and also i mean i guess the reader doesn't know that at that point so it's really just a a shocker because your your expectations have been built up at this point and then Alden tells you nope that's not gonna happen yeah okay jumping back forwards in time um I just when after this scene I believe they go inside and meet Della and uh I'm gonna call her Bianna for the first time and what I find absolutely hilarious is that the first image Sophie gets of Bianna it's just her yelling at thin air because her and Della are having a fight, but Della is invisible. That is, that's a pretty great introduction. What, what was it? I, I had something to say about Della and I don't remember. Right. So we see that Della is like, because she's a vanisher, she's fading in and out constantly. But like, do we see that with Bianna after she manifests? Or is that is that a thing that comes with age? Or is she consciously doing it? Does she do it on purpose? And like, for what reason? For the aesthetic? I think Della just does it on purpose. I'm pretty sure... Yeah, I saw it as her doing it on purpose. Just... Yeah, honestly. Because Della's a very, like, dramatic person. And she seems like the kind of person who would do that to make herself stand out. And, like, 
to be memorable and cool. Yeah, but as I think, um, as I think was mentioned earlier on, like, it probably is, like, Della's probably at the point where it isn't something she has to think about, but Bianca, when we're first introduced, like, it takes a lot of concentration for her to just flicker in or out. And here in the very last section of what we read for this week, we meet our final character, Elwyn. Elwyn! Elwyn. The favorite. Elwyn's great. Seriously, he's our unproblematic fave, I feel like. Right? He's the, just the best in every way. Um, although we... The... His, his pet did not make... His pet was not here. The... Yeah, the Banshee. Bullhorn, right? Yeah, I think... I think we are... I think we are introduced to Bullhorn when she actually visits the school. So I guess he kind of lives at the school. Right. Oh, and... Yeah, I guess one last point that I have here is that this is the first, this is when we're introduced to the youth in a bottle, um, which is like the elixir that is, serves as like a, I don't know, some sort of multivitamin for every possible illness, I guess. And um, I have a theory about youth. Um, I'm There isn't really much evidence towards it, but I thought it would be interesting if Maybe elves aren't actually immortal, and it's just the youth that's keeping them alive and young. Oh, that would be cool. Especially because it's called youth, so that makes too much sense. Like, that makes a lot of sense. I think that maybe... I think that... I wonder... Because I don't... Because I think that there's probably a mental... Well, it's elves. Who knows actually what's happening? But just due to, like... They mention enzymes and minerals... And it, so I wonder if these are enzymes and minerals that potentially, that could potentially elongate like a human lifespan, but would not necessarily take it to the same, like level or intensity of that of a elf. Okay. So this is like, this is like me being science, but you were talking about like enzymes and. People think that, what, like, a reason that aging could happen is that, like, the telomeres on the ends of your DNA get shorter because parts just, like, get cut off, and then once you get too cut off, then your body stops working. So maybe youth could do something to, like, replenish that and keep your telomeres, like, at a good length. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what would happen if they gave youth to a human like if they gave it to amy like would her lifespan be longer what would happen i i think my theory is that amy's lifespan would would be be longer but i don't think that she would live forever the same way that the elves would or do you think i mean i don't know i'm just thinking like do you think humans might be allergic to elven medicine kind of the same way that Sophie, right, Sophie's, Sophie has issues with human medicine, isn't, that's a thing, right? Or, I feel, I I might actually be thinking about Shannon Messenger's other series, Let the Sky Fall. I think that was a thing in Let the Sky Fall. I'm not sure if it's the same. Oh, in Let the, 
I don't think it was human medicine, like, that she was allergic to. I think that generally, like, there's this kind of cleanse and away from the chemicals that we use. Like, I don't think that she was allergic to it. I don't think that it had a negative effect. I think it was just probably, like, more clogging down her system and putting, like, things in and chemicals that she didn't need than, like, she would actually start dying. Because I think at, at one point, Forkle said, like, like, after they gave you medicine for your allergy, I to go and, like, detox you. Yeah, but I think that the only thing that we've actually seen that Sophie is allergic to is the, um... Limbium. Yeah, I was gonna say lithium. Nope, that's the wrong thing. So, an- so another thing that I thought might be, like, a cause of the elven lifespan was, um, a, a big theme that they have is, like, mind over matter. You can do anything if you just, like, want it really hard like if you believe that you can so i was thinking maybe they could have been conditioned to think like they could have been conditioned to think that they're immortal and thus make themselves immortal because elves do have this mind over matter thing so they can control their bodies like possibly to that level so they can like will their yeah. body to stop aging you know the theme song of the series really should be I Believe I Can Fly. <laughs> that would be... And it's, it's got enough true. of a sad vibe that it does work as well. So that was the end of our reading for this week. Does anyone have any like final thoughts that they want to share? Any points that we haven't touched on yet? Oh, I just had a, uh, a one note that I will share for my little book of notes. Um... That bubbles on the way up from Atlantis feel like the inside of your cheek when you touch them. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Shannon's descriptions of elven things... <laughs> like, I saw... No, I saw a post the other day that was like... That, that was like... Sh- um, Shannon keeps comparing things to like a wave of melons crashing over you or something like that. And it's it's very true. So if you ever want to know what a bubble feels like to touch, just touch the inside of your cheek. I had, like, a thing from the very beginning. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, where Fitz is speaking and she says uh, his accent bothers her, but she doesn't know why. And then later, it's explained that it bothers her because she can't hear his, like, mental voice. But that kind of didn't really feel like a good explanation. So I thought that maybe it bothers her because, like, she's come into contact with a Vacker previously, maybe? Oh, Alvar! something where she recognized- yeah, exactly, like, something- Did Alvar talk to her in the memory? Because if he did, then maybe it's, like, Fitz's voice triggering her memory a little bit. That- yeah, that would be really interesting. What I was thinking about that line was that um, I thought maybe she felt uncomfortable around his accent because it was hers. Because they mentioned her accent was really similar to the Vacker's. I thought that her accent was similar when they were speaking the... I thought they were similar when they were speaking the language, not when they were speaking English. Like, when they were speaking in light language, they had a similar accent due to her... I don't know whether that be genetics that influence accents because it's a language that you know since birth or if it's because of her polyglot abilities, but that's something to think about. 
Yeah, we're in the Natural History Museum. Was Fitz speaking in English or was he speaking in the enlightened language? I think he probably would have I think he probably would have been speaking in English at first just because he wasn't sure if she would actually be an elf or not. And then maybe once they got to the Alvin sw- city, switching to the enlightened language, or once he knew that she was an elf. Yeah, that ma- that makes sense. Her polyglot abilities also haven't been activated yet, right? So at this point, the only two languages she knows are English and the enlightened language. Wait, really? Wait, then why does she know the enlightened language? Oh, right, because because it's right. instinctive. Do do our polyglots like an ability that has to be triggered? Or is that, like, I don't know, a nat- an ability that she's actually had but just never noticed? Every ability has to manifest, right? Yeah, but I was just thinking more accurately because at the end of the book where they find out she's a polyglot, like, she doesn't actively realize that she's speaking in French. So, like, does she actually... So, I think the way everything... Like, does she... I Has she been a polyglot since she was a telepath? But she just doesn't notice because her brain just automatically filters it into making her think it's either English or something, or the way that or the language her brain. Oh thinks yeah, that's in. possible. I hadn't, I hadn't thought that. I thought that um, since they acted, since they triggered her inflicting in Paris, they had done the polyglot ability at the same time. But it's possible she had had it the whole time just without realizing it. I think that's about it for today. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um. So, do you want to share social media handles quickly? So you can find me at um, at Mallow Melting on Tumblr and Instagram. Uh, you can find well, my I don't have an Instagram, but my Tumblr is Everglen Havenfield, and uh, my Tumblr is Alan Dash A Shriver Dash Galathinius. And, yeah. Canon URL icon. I know, it's the best. Um, so, yeah, and we, this podcast also now has a Tumblr and an Instagram. So, you can find us at KeeperCast on Tumblr and the KeeperCast on Instagram. So. Yay! That's about it. How did how did we decide to sign off again? <laughs> oh, wait, like this has been Alright. Um, did we do that? Right. Do it wasn't that? yeah, it wasn't anything fancy. Alright. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week. Um.